Hi there, you are listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. My name is Matt Wakeling and this is the show I produce in Sydney, Australia, where I speak to leading guitarists and guitar figures from all around the world. Thank you so much for joining me. Now today we celebrate the 65th birthday of possibly the most iconic electric guitar of all time, very likely one of the most symbolic uh, images of popular culture of the last 65 years as well, and that is, of course, the Fender Stratocaster. Now to talk all things strats today, we have some fantastic guests. We have Ian S. Port, who is a US best-selling author who's recently written a fantastic book, The Birth of Loud, Leo Fender, Les Paul, and the guitar pioneering rivalry that shaped rock and roll. We're also joined by two of Australia's finest strat players, being Steve Edmonds and Phil Sobrano. It was a lot of fun putting together this episode, and we're going to hear about history, we're going to talk about iconic players and professionals on the road and their very own strat story. So let's jump straight in. Ian S. Port, welcome to the Guitar Speak podcast. Thank you for having me. It's our great, great pleasure. I've just finished reading your fantastic book, The Birth of Loud, Leo Fender Les Paul and the Guitar Pioneering Rivalry that Shaped Rock and Roll. It was such a, a brilliant book and uh, lots to talk about. But today, um, in this episode, we're really focusing on the Strat. Now, in your book, you detail that by around 1953, uh, Leo Fender and his Telecaster is in full swing. Production is... Um, going out the door and he's struggling to keep up with demand with all this great stuff going on for for fender after such a long slog getting uh the telly up and running why the stratocaster why is he looking at a new guitar well i think a couple reasons um you know for the the first real big reason i think is you know leo fender's a perfectionist you know he's always believes that there can be kind of a next step and improvement on what he's done before. He's always, you know, in, in tech speak today, they would call it iterating. You know, he's always building the next thing. Um, and, you know, it didn't take a whole long uh, time after the Telecaster came out before he started hearing from musicians about the problems with it. You know, like one of the problems that he heard from someone like Bill Carson, one of his early kind of musician guinea pig tester friends, was about the Telecaster's bridge and about how you couldn't really adjust the intonation exactly for each string. So Carson had problems tuning it precisely enough for the recording studios at the time. And the way Carson would tell you, know, he would go into a studio and, and the, the studio producer would say, hey, that guitar's not in tune and, and you can't really get it perfectly intonated enough to play with other instruments. So there was a problem with that. Um, people were complaining about the Telecaster's thick corners, or, sorry, the, the hard corners on the back of the body, the way that they kind of can cut into your chest after a while. And, you know, just in general, I think Leo knew that the Telecaster had been a great first effort. It had been a kind of proof of concept, but he knew that, you know, he could come up with something better. Um, and certainly after Gibson released the Les Paul in 1952, there was a real kind of urgency at Fender to kind of mat put out something that matched the Les Paul's kind of elegance and unobvious like sort of fineness. Okay, yeah. And how was it initially received? So I think the Stratocaster was pretty much regarded from the start as being kind of wild and amazing. Um, certainly you had, I mean, obviously that incredible double cutaway shape, which of course had existed before with the precision base, but which was still completely new 
um, for a lot of people um, and very surprising, the contours, the shapes, the just general futuristic kind of quality of it. And then, of course, you had the amazing tremolo arm, which kind of sort of existed thanks to Paul Bigsby before then. Not really been put on a mainstream guitar up to that point and like allowed people to do all kinds of, of cool effects. Um, I think it was immediately sort of uh, recognized as being a real breakthrough. And certainly, you know, you saw people giving up um, Gibson's leaving Telecasters and, and going to the Stratocaster. You talk about Buddy Holly as being an, I guess, an early adopter and, and someone who really um, spread the popularity of the strat. Can you, can you talk about his influence? Yeah. I mean, I think it, it's sort of hard to overstate. I mean, certainly Buddy Holly was not the only first adopter of the strat, but he was a huge figure just in terms of like getting the Stratocaster on, on television in, in the United States, in the UK, um, in a rock and roll context. And I think he was really the first rock and roller to appear on mainstream television playing a Stratocaster. And here you have this guy, you know, he's kind of tall, he's kind of good looking, but he's a little nerdy. He's got these glasses. He seems much more kind of mellow and more relatable, let's say, than someone like Elvis Presley. But he's holding this incredible, you know, space age futuristic guitar and just putting all of his sort of energy into these beautiful songs. And it was a huge impact for for kids in America and, of course, especially for for kids in in the UK and people like, you know, John Lennon, Paul McCartney, Eric Clapton, who saw Buddy Holly come over there in 1957 and were just blown away by this vision of the kind of American future that Buddy Holly represented holding his Stratocaster. Amazing, amazing. And what an incredible collision between um, rock and roll and the electric guitar and and television and uh, all all this mass media starting to emerge. Absolutely. It's important to know, too, that, um, you know, the the Stratocaster, I think Buddy Holly kind of gave the Stratocaster its rock and roll context. But the Stratocaster appeared on TV in the United States on a very popular, unfortunately, well, a very popular show called The Lawrence Welk Show in the hands of of a guy named Buddy Merrill. And this was like kind of grown up music. You know, this was like uh, sort of light classical, light symphony kind of jazz music. Um, and they would have Buddy Merrill, this like whippersnapper kid, play these wild solos on a Stratocaster that were very sort of country western. Um, so the Strat was on TV in a lot of different contexts, you know. But of course, we now sort of remember it and think of it and, and chart its course coming in the rock and roll. Sure, sure, yeah. I guess that's one of the big appeals of the Strat too. Like so many uh, significant players of different styles have picked it up. And, and made it their own. You, you talk about Jimi Hendrix as being one of those players. What was his uh, impact on on the Strat? Or vice versa, maybe? Yeah, I, I think if you were to look at probably the Hendrix, he's probably the most defining Stratocaster player of all time. I mean, certainly others will have their pick, and, and there have been many, many great players who picked up a Strat. But, um, you know, when Hendrix was coming to the fore in the mid to late 60s, the Stratocaster had kind of gone out of fashion. You know, all the, the Brits and the blues scene in London were playing Les Pauls or switch, trying to switch to Les Pauls if they could find them. Um, and, and it was kind of a surprise to see someone like Jimi Hendrix, this wild American, um, ring these really distorted, you know, overblown, passionate kind of sounds out of what had been like seen as sort of something left over from the era of surf rock. Um, and you know, like Buddy Holly, it was sort of old hat. Um, but Hendrix just like got this incredible fluency out of the Stratocaster. 
obviously using, you know, a ton of gear in addition to the guitar, right? Because sure, he had the foot, sure. all the, all that and the Marshall. Um, but yeah, I think he, Hendrix really just showed the incredible range and, and eloquence of sounds that you could pull out of the Stratocaster. Another really incredible feature of the Strat being in production for 65 years, it, it seems like no matter who has owned Fender, and there's been a whole history of that, um, but the Stratocaster has always been in production. You've always been able to go out and buy a new Strat. Ian, Ian Paul, why do you think the Strat has remained such an iconic uh, representation of, of popular music, and I guess popular culture for that matter as well? Um, I think it's an incredibly iconic shape. I mean, I think the one thing you have to understand that the whole history of the electric guitar is so much tied up, not just in like how they sound and what they allow the musician to do, but their effect on the audience, you know, and the Stratocaster just looks so striking. It's so different from everything that came before and it still looks modern even 65 years later. Um, and I think that that's part of why it's it's managed to survive so well. I mean, I would argue that it's probably the definitive silhouette of an electric guitar that if you ask an average person to say, what is an electric guitar? They would point to something that looked like a Stratocaster. Um, so I think that's part of the reason for its popular endurance. Um, but with players, I mean, it's that combination of that just like beautiful kind of sexy appearance and it's so easy to play it's so comfortable and you can get so many different sounds out of it it's just like it's just kind of a perfect easy but incredibly satisfying instrument steve welcome back to the guitar speak podcast thanks matt thanks so much for having us my pleasure when i was thinking of great strat players in australia you were certainly up there absolutely i love your tones on a strat Thank you, thank you. That's that's very flattering. Do you remember your first encounter, or maybe your first awareness of the Fender Strat? Yeah, it was. It's it was actually the first real guitar. Well, actually, the second guitar I bought. Where uh, I bought a cheap, a really cheap one to begin with. But when I got the money, when I got a job, and I was I started to work, the first thing I bought it was actually a um, a walnut strat it was this thing from i think it was guitar factory but it was in the city it was in like in sussex street oh yeah like i remember that, that one it yeah was ages ages ago i bought my first amp from there <laughs> oh is that right well I, I used to go at lunchtime i was used to work in the uh, in in australia square tower and i used to just bolt over at lunchtime and just sort of sit in there and have a look around and i was just drawn to this walnut fairly heavy strat and it had these black Bartolini pickups in it and it was just different (laughs) but it it had the shape you know what I mean and so I was already kind of influenced by Jimmy and and was listening to and I'd done my Stevie and listening and and you know I I kind of had for some reason the feeling that that's what a that's what you should look like when you're playing the guitar. You should be holding one of them, you know. Yeah, so, wow. you know, out of pure ignorance and just feeling alone and just just instinct, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, but uh, I, that was really the first guitar I bought. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was uh, it was it certainly held up for a while. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, why do you think the Strat is still such an iconic and and incredibly relevant guitar still, sixty five years on? Yeah, well, I think, you know, a lot of music that we've 
actually heard has been playing on the strat and a lot of the tones that i think we associate with music in general and rock and roll in general and guitar music in general are all basically strat things and even when you know when guys put started putting humbuckers in them and that it was they were still holding onto a strat you know mm-hmm. and yeah, then yeah. and then you've got all those brands that just changed the headstock and um and but they were still guys jumping around with strats, <laughs> you know. Uh-huh. So so yeah, I think you know because of you know from, from I guess the the shadows to Ingvi and and in between uh, it's it's you know Blackmore Hendrix Stevie, you know everyone was uh, there's such a huge recorded uh, catalog of of Stratocaster music and I think. You know, subconsciously, when you're going for tones, um, there it is. You know, it's it's been done, and and you, it's um it's at hand there on a strat. So that, and of course, there's a great quote by Jimmy Vaughan who says, "You can get everything out of a strat. You can make it sound like a jazz box. You can make it sound like a telly. You can make it sound metal. You know, it's all there. It's it's. I guess it's what you pair it with. You know. Yeah. Awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Mate, you've mentioned like a whole heap of legendary Strat players. Is there one or two um, particular songs that, that spun your head, like in terms of the tone and the, the, the parts or, or whatever? Yeah, um, I think, you know, Stevie's sort of uh, tone, blues tone, because I was inter- interested in that. I've always been interested in that music. Yeah, sure. So... W- w- that was really um, um, it was an, an exciting sound mm-hmm. to hear that in the eighties, and and it was just a beautiful and his just relentless technique and and power on the instrument, and yeah. and it was trio, and it took up so much oral sort of uh, real estate, you know, of the sound, and and it, just that stuff, the outer face stuff, you know, the cold shot, the all that stuff that he does when he plays slow blues like Lenny and things like that. It's all really, really pretty. And, and yet there's so much depth and, and, um, and, uh, and body to it, you know, Uh, and it's, it's legit, you know, it's still, we've still played blues on it. So it ticked all those boxes. It just covered all that ground, you know, Mm -hmm. with that, with, with a strap through a couple of, couple of, uh, I think Vibraluxes or something like that. So, um, and a tube screamer, so it kind of laid it down that you know, it's all in your hands. Uh, that you know, and, and this was a great instrument where you could really, uh, you know, get a signature sound out of because um, it, it had a huge oral spectrum. So, yeah, I think that was one of the greatest, uh, you know, mo- most appealing sounds. And and of course, Hendrix's stuff with um, with the pedals and and that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, and I think you know, something that people forget about was the string gauges um, that Jimi Hendrix uses, and I think that is a huge part of the sound uh, that people aren't aware of. Sure, I'm aware of Stevie using like 13s or whatever. What what's the Hendrix recipe? I've never actually. Oh um, uh, yeah, that there, down. there's. I think the G string super light. And the E string is super light. Um, yeah, it's not a, it's not like a, a standard 
tens. I think it's it was they were nines, and they he even went lighter still. There's a guy, um, RJ Ronquillo, who's who's a fantastic guitar player, and, and he does a lot of demos. He's a really hip hip cat in LA, I think he is, and uh, he's doing. Um, He's done a, a, a YouTube article on it, so maybe you should check it out. But it, it's made it, it has it, it makes such a difference. I haven't done it myself because I don't have the the money to be buying extra strings to changing <laughs> them, and you know, so I just buy a set of elevens. You know, and that's gotcha. it. But yeah. but you know, it's but it, it is an amazing thing, and and uh, he makes a huge point. Um, and uh, and demonstrates it really clearly. So uh, maybe you should check that out. But yeah. but I think that you know, in answer to your question, Stevie and Jimmy, of course, yeah, uh, two huge um, sounds uh, out of the strat that that really appealed to me. Yeah, yeah. hard to beat those guys, man. What's oh, um what's your own strat collection like these days? And maybe what's the main? Is there a main one that you'll you'll pull out? Yeah, well, you know, um. Oh, I've got the Rory. I've got the Rory Strat, uh, the the custom shop Rory Gallagher Strat, oh, yeah, which nice. I I had for about what I played for ten years, which was my guitar. It's a really fine neck on it, rosewood, and and I had to doctor it a bit. You know, I had to put in a because it was a, initially a three way switch, so okay. I put in the five. And you know, it, there was all this business going on with the machine heads, so I put locking machine heads on it, and. Um, Changed a few things, changed the bridge, and so it's it's been modified quite heavily. Um, so that was the main thing. But I've recently, I'm I'm quite ashamed to say, being uh, the Fender endorsee and Fender devotee that I am, yeah. I'm a bit uh, embarrassed to say that I've been playing an exotic strap. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, purely because of the weight of it, it's just so light. And it's just a really beautiful, playable guitar. Um, it was funny. I met someone who uh, owns a guitar shop and said, uh, I own, you know, 200 guitars and this is the only guitar I play. So, wow. you know, wow. he, he, he kind of recommended it. And it, it has worked. It, it's become a really good workhorse and it's great. I have modified that somewhat to, uh, to an extent, but it's still, it's, it's a, They've got the vintage raw pickups in it, uh, made by Exotic, and uh, it's just a very light, stratty kind of thing. Uh, Carl Vahayan does a great um, uh, talk about strats and what he looks for in strats. And, um, yeah, just, you know, tens on a strat, uh, you know, in standard tuning. I, I, I'm down a half step, so I use 11s generally. Okay, but um, yep. uh Tens on, and actually, Peter Northcote made a, a great point today on Facebook, saying he had to tune down to E flat this weekend, and uh, he he said, oh, "I hate it because the guitar's electric guitar's not meant to be in E flat. It's meant to be in standard 440, and and um, the strings sound better. The whole instrument sounds better in standard tune. And and I agree. Having played E flat for the last 20 years of my life, it's uh, the guitar is definitely much better um, sounding instrument in standard tuning. 
but uh, such is my curse because I'm a terrible singer. So I'm trying to, <laughs> you know, trying to make up for that with the chin down half step. Hoping no one knows. But um, so that's that's that's. Still, I disagree. So, uh, but but, but uh, yeah, so that you know, that, there's a, I've got a bunch of strats. I've got a left-handed Hendrix strat which I used, you know, and I've got a Jap strat, which was my main guitar for many years uh, that I bought off Harry Bruce. Which I modded a little bit, changed pickups and and machine heads and and springs and and whatnot, uh, which is a great, still a fantastic and beautifully um, uh, intonated instrument. Which is, yeah, and and it's funny I pick it up now and again. You know, I, I keep it in 440 at home for, to teach with it now and again, and I pick it up and I just think, wow, it, it's still such a fantastic instrument to play, and uh, it's all there, you know. So. Yeah, so there's a few strats around here. Nice. Um, yeah, but uh, I actually had my crush. I saw this uh, a slim, uh, a thin line strat, actually, one with, with an F hole in it. And I played the Eric Johnson thing at, uh, at one of the Fender uh, uh, custom shop nights that we did. Uh-huh. And that was a fantastic instrument. I think Mossy bought one of those. And they, it is a really, it, it did sound fantastic on its own. Uh, but I, I saw this thing and it was in this bright lime green sparkle and it had been, and it had been, uh, you know, uh, aged and and the relict, and it looked just a million bucks. I at my, you know, I forgot to breathe when I was looking at it. It was just <laughs> such a beautiful instrument. So yeah, I, I might sort of chase something like that down just for a look. But, nice man, excellent. So yeah, there's there's never too many strats, obviously. No, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Phil Sobrano, welcome to the Strat Special Edition. Great to be here. Excellent. Mate, can you remember the first Strat you saw or when you first became aware of what a Fender Stratocaster was? Yeah, well, I guess the first bit of awareness was probably a poster of Jimi Hendrix. But... Uh, like many others, it sort of confused me a bit because it was upside down. Of course, um, yeah, yeah. And then I kind of made the connection with um, that it was the same guitar as Buddy Holly's, but white and upside down. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, and then being a bit of a stylist of a kid, I kind of was like, um, Buddy Holly was playing a Strat back in 57 or whatever. And there weren't many other people playing Strats back then. And I was like, oh, what's the what's the connection? I eventually made all the connections um, later on. But there was something that kind of just, I don't know, something that kind of just twigged in me. And I my, my first electric guitar was a Les Paul copy. Okay. And I've been his Les Paul copy. And then I remember jamming one time with uh, some friends and the other guy had a strat and I I asked him if I could play it and there was just something that kind of went, Oh yeah, now this I can see what the deal is with these guitars. It just felt really different. It kind of felt easier. Uh-huh. Um and I don't know, the fact that the the um action to, to where the to to the body um, was lower. I could sort of rest my hand and my fingers on the scratch plate. And there was just something about it. I don't know. Yeah, it, cool. um, yeah, had something. 
Do, do you remember um, uh, when you ended up owning your first Strat? Or have you been through a number of Strats? I, I want to talk about your main one, of course. But um, yeah, we'll get yeah, that. we'll get to that. We'll yeah. get to Blondie. <laughs> um, the the um, okay. So the next kind of real-ish guitar I got was a Rickenbacker. So I had this Les Paul copy, and then I had a Rickenbacker because I was into kind of um, the the post-punk scene of the late 70s and early 80s. So I was into a band called The Jam. Um, and then then that kind of was the whole mod sound and that jangly, sharp, edgy kind of sound on the Rickenbacker. Um, and that got me into 60s music. And then that made me start thinking about bands like The Shadows and that surf music thing. Mm-hmm. So I formed a punk surf band and i had a mate of mine's um it was a red strat which i i was using it was a simar strat which is like simar is like a copy of it it was like the even cheaper version of uh i think i think ibanez yeah i think you're right yeah 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 um during that whole lawsuit series, lawsuit era, blah 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 blah. Anyway, I never ever forget the first time that I um, I played around with the floating tremolo thing, and that idea of getting that wobbly sort of thing on on um, on notes and chords, like kind of like um, the shadows and on all that sort of surf music sound. And then I was like, oh, yeah, this is my thing. I think I've found my thing here was that that tremolo kind of thing. Um, So that was the first sort of Strat style guitar that I had. And then I, I, what I used to do, and I'm sure a lot of young people out there do, is they kind of borrow someone's guitar and then they kind of just keep it and then they sort of eventually own it and it's kind of just like stealing (laughs) really it kind of is (laughs) it's like it's kind of like stealing by attrition you just kind of like (laughs) and so the next guitar i i did that with was from a mate of mine ashley cadell and he he had a a nine like a 70s um strat with the three um the, the bold neck with the three screws Oh, okay, yep, yep. And the big headstock. Yeah, cool. And I kind of borrowed that and eventually he he, he eventually chased me up on it and said, Hey mate, you gotta buy that off me. So I ended up buying it off him. Okay. And that was <laughs> that was the one that started it. The Very only cool. thing was, even then I knew kind of that that was a nice guitar, but it just didn't have there was something about it that didn't have and I, I, I don't know what it is. And no matter how many people I speak to about it with um, you know, other guitarists and, you know, luthiers and people that make guitars, there's, there is a certain something that um, that some, gu- some guitars have and some guitars don't. So it never really had a thing. Um, so then I bought a 1963 L series from Jackson's in Sydney. And I know that guy's name is kind of mud around town. But back in the day... That shop was kind of like the the mecca. Yeah, definitely, um, definitely. And there was a would have been about it would have been uh, late eighties, and there was this strat sitting there. And it looked really legit. It looked like awesome. It had been refinished, 
but it was a 1963 L series and I bought it for two and a half thousand dollars. Wow. Which, which back, back in, then, that's that's a bit of cash for a... It was still a lot of money back then. Yeah. And I was, but I was doing pretty well with with gigs and stuff. And I thought, no, I'm going to get a real guitar. So that's 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 when I that's I marked that in the history books as that was my kind of first major acquisition. Yeah. <laughs> and that guitar had that thing, and I don't know what it was. It was just it just sounded really stratty. It sounded like, and when you turned it, like if you played it through a big amp, it did all of those awesome things, um, and the neck pickup um, was just like, I don't know, it was just all instantly sort of Hendrixy yeah. and and um, Curtis Mayfieldy. Um, it, yeah, it was just great. That's that. Sadly, I had to sell about I don't know, I don't know 10, 10 or fifteen years later because I needed the the bread. But um, the this brings us up to date with the the strat that I eventually kind of like have, have taken on as my main squeeze now this is um, the blonde strap plus that's the one i immediately think of when i think of you yeah that's yeah, blonde cool. yeah so it's funny how sometimes things happen um because that guitar i bought well what happened was the 63 L series was, I was doing a lot of funk, funk gigs and Kate gigs on and a bit of jazzy sort of soul on, which mm -hmm. was great. And then things started to get pretty um, busy with Kate's pop career. And so we were touring a lot and I just, I, I didn't want to take the L series out on the road. So um, I bought a Strat Plus. Now the first one I bought was, um, was in a kind of a shell pink that's that color has actually become a little bit of a rare a rare collector's item now okay. which i stupidly after a couple of years sprayed over with black and then sold that one off but i bought two around the same time and the other one was this arctic white strap okay, and that yeah. was the second guitar uh -huh. um the pink one I played on all the gigs because it sort of fit in with the times and the look, but it didn't have the vibe. It didn't have that thing. It just didn't play. No, it just didn't feel or sound, um, sound. I don't know, special. Yeah. Then I started to play the white one because it, because I was a bit um, more into probably fashion than I was into playing, and the white one could go <laughs> different outfits better. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> And then that's it, great, man. And then, yeah, well, and then kind of around that time, late 80s, early 90s, um, there was a big movement back to sort of the 60s stuff, um, care of Lenny Kravitz and um, other people like that. And so mm -hmm. I'd always been a bit of a Hendrix guy. So I've gone, oh, okay, well, I've got the guitar ready to go, and that's the white Strat. Um, the Strat Plus is a... Uh, as for, for the listeners that don't know, it was kind of like American Fender taking ownership back of their brand and their manufacturing mm -hmm. and wanting to create some guitars of quality because the uh, American Strats of the, the early to mid-80s 
to be honest, the Japanese were making better strats under the Fender brand. Um, that's 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 how I felt anyway. Sure, and sure. Then, no, that's and then a... when the – is that a fair call? Yeah, oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah, so when the Strat Plus came out, we all sort of had a go and went, okay, well, we're going to give them a go because it's got some kind of innovative stuff. It mm-hmm. had like a Wilkinson Bridge and, and the um, roller nut to kind of assist with um, – with tuning and the lace sensor pickups were one of the first sort of experimentations with um, noise cancelling or noise limiting pickups. Mm-hmm. A lot of people kind of I don't know have have a bit of a problem with the lace sensors. I, I don't I don't really see it. Um, and the pickups that I've got on mine have always been fine for the bridge. Oh, sorry for the middle and the neck pickup yep. i re- i replaced the um bridge pickup with a seymour duncan um mini humbucker i think it's called a mini jb oh okay cool and i had it for some reason again i don't know i went on this wacky mod thing that i wanted to do modification thing where i'd seen one of those hot licks videos uh by brian may and he was talking about his um red special and he could he had all this switching on his red special where you could you know put things in phase and out of phase and in series and out of you know all of those kind of controls so i wanted to get more control over different sounds on my my strat the the white one so i had a mate of mine colin bloxham who was a, a guitar dude that used to set up all my guitars in sydney oh yeah he, he worked yeah. on one of mine, yeah, in a Glebe, I think he was, when I... Yeah, yeah, yeah. fantastic dude. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. a ripper. So I sat down with him and I sort of talked through what I wanted on this strap um, because I wanted to be able to make it as versatile as possible. We tried the treble bleed thing on the L series and I wasn't that happy with it because I actually didn't mind pulling the volume back and it going a bit muddy. Okay, yeah, um, cool. That was sort of... That, I kind of used that. Yeah, yeah. So we didn't do that on the white one what we did was we put this mini humbucker in and put a push-pull knob um to split it from humbucker to single so i could still have a single on the bridge um we we made the um that knob as well we made that a universal tone knob for the whole for all the three pickups Mm -hmm. and the middle pickup we made it a wind-in knob for the um, neck pickup so that when I had the bridge pickup on, I could wind the neck pickup in out of phase so it would get that kind of Telecaster um, quacky sound. Oh, awesome. And then <laughs> this is we've, – we've entered into a world of geekdom, but I suppose this is what <laughs> this is all about. This is the right place for it, Phil. This is the right place, yeah. <laughs> So then when you did switch it to the outer face position between the bridge and the middle and you've wound in the um, neck pickup, you've got all the pickups on at once. And I wanted to see what that sounded like. And it actually sounds fantastic uh, because it gives you – well, it gives you a really, really wide um, range of of choices Mm -hmm. and – Sometimes on the fly on gigs, you're looking for something that's just going to cut through, and on its own, it may not sound amazing, 
but within like in the band in the kind of like the oral spectrum of the band it actually fits really well like a part that will, will that will jump out um i ended up years i ended up a few, quite a few years later actually buying a one of those red special uh brian may guitars and a lot of those sounds on the, on that guitar are, are unusable on their own but mm-hmm. with within a track or going through um a vox ac30 with a treble booster it's yeah. absolutely amazing yeah, right wow. so it's kind of yeah. like a disadvantage working as your advantage mm-hmm. like a like a thin tone boosted the right kind of way can bring out harmonics that you wouldn't normally get from maybe a, a more high-end emg pickup or something like that anyway yeah, right. that's cool. my take on it i'm not i'm not really very technical with that stuff but that's that's the mod that i had on that, that I had done on that strat and that's stuck with me ever since Fantastic. um a lot of people have commented on my tone and I'm going, geez, I, I don't know what I'm really doing. And I think it's got a lot to do with that guitar and how it's, um, how it's been modif- modified. I really got to say the the Seymour Duncan um, mini humbucker, that's, that's a cool humbucker. It's a really great pickup um, and it's served me really well on that guitar. Um, yeah, what else do you want to know about it? I got rid of the roll, the big roller nut and, and replaced it with um, the smaller one. Oh, okay, yeah, um, yeah. The one that fits more in like a normal nut space, I guess, is that? Yeah, yeah and right. I had, I had um, James Cargill, instead of putting in that dodgy plastic bit that they give you from Fender, because just, that just looks naff, I got him to kind of create a, I don't know, he he put some a nice little bit of birch in there to make it look like it's sort of like it looks a little bit more like it's at home oh very cool very cool um and the only things that i've changed on it since is that um uh the because i use the whammy bar a lot the um original bridge kind of wore down a bit at the at the the pins mm-hmm. so i've replaced that and I, I put on some new, um, some new tuning pegs as well. But apart from that, it's just been, you know, going a treat. I, I, I put on a new scratch plate, like a gold scratch, anodized gold scratch plate, because um, I was doing a thing the other oh, a few years back with a mate. At the end of the song, we're rubbing our guitars together, and his <laughs> string got caught underneath my scratch plate and just and cracked the end off it so, oh, okay <laughs> yeah so that was that but, um, awesome man yeah <laughs> there's the story strat. i know it's very waffly but um it's a great story man it's a great stress there's one, story there's one kind of um uh, bit to add on the end and this is something i've never really told in public and that is that about 10 years ago uh well, the year of th- this strat that I've got is 1989, so that makes it what 30, 30 years old now, yeah, right? Thirty years this year, yeah, cool. Far out. So, about ten years ago on eBay, I saw a 1989 strat, a white one, with a with a. It was really odd. It also had a, um, a Seymour Duncan humbucker on it, and it was in mint condition. And I, I said to myself, I'm going to kick myself if I don't buy this, 
right? And it's still sitting in a cupboard at home in mint condition. And it's going to be like the before and after shot. That's great. Because <laughs> my strat's all worn down and I get these people suspiciously saying, oh, yeah, is that a, is that a relic? Yeah. And I go, no. <laughs> No, I'm I'm the relic. The... <laughs> that, yeah, the guitar's just been worn away from years and years and years of me playing. But I can see why you might think it's that. I I kind of I like the idea of relicking, but I don't like the idea of thinking that you can buy mojo. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I think sure. you have to play mojo into yeah. into something. Um, I'm not going to say that I've never relicked a guitar. Like some guitars you get are just so spanky and new and the lacquer's all shiny and you don't feel like you can bang it around. So there's a guy in South Melbourne that I'll take my guitars to to just get him to kind of like um, age, age it a little so that I don't feel like I'm, you know, taking a new car out for a spin. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as that wearing down stuff and wearing down the fingerboard and 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 that kind of thing, I, I don't I don't really get it. But um, yeah. that's just me. Yeah, there you go. Well, mate, it's yeah. all all legit on the on Blondie. That's very cool. Yeah, that's the Blondie story. Look, <laughs> it's it's my workhorse guitar, and it's good to have a guitar that you can kind of just um, bang about. Yeah. Um, if by chance it has the mojo and it actually has all the sounds that you want and can do all the things that you want it to do, then that's just a fantastic bonus, you know. Yeah. Um, I've got other guitars, you know. I've got more expensive guitars. I've got guitars that are more collectible, but you know, that's that's the one that really works for me and it works across most styles. So, you know, if you can find something like that, you know, stick to it. All right, there you go. Now, to accompany this episode, I need to let you know a couple of things. We have a Spotify playlist drawn from some of the artists that our guest today spoke of. Also, some suggestions from our Guitar Speak Forum members. Thank you, guys. Those uh, players are on there as well. You can check out the Guitar Speak Forum on Facebook, by the way. Ian S. Port will be joining us for an upcoming episode to talk about his book in full, which is a fantastic story. Um, Phil and Steve have both been prior guests on the Guitar Speak podcast, and they speak in more depth about their career as well. So I'll leave some links for that in the show notes. It's well worth checking out. All right, thank you so much for joining me. This is Matt Wakeling from the Guitar Speak podcast saying bye for now. Long live the strat.